Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn of Houston Public Media. And I'm Eric Skelly from Rocco, the River Oaks Chamber Orchestra. And this time, we're talking about Leonard Bernstein's operetta, Candide, which debuted on Broadway in 1956. Yeah, but now it's opera companies that have sort of taken up the, the cause of Candide and are keeping, the, keeping it alive, essentially. It's one of those pieces that has had a lot of revision in its history. Boy, howdy. <laughs> the original libretto was written by Lillian Hellman. Right, and she actually playwright. went to yeah. She went to Leonard Bernstein and said, "Hey, how about taking a shot at at uh, Voltaire's Candide?" Because this was in the the early fifties or the early to mid fifties, and she, you know, saw parallels between the McCarthy witch hunts and the Inquisition, which plays a part in in Candide, at least in part of the very <laughs> active wandering plot. <laughs> it's in Portugal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So yeah, that's that's how it sort of began. Uh, and then pretty much everybody and their brother had a shot at the, <laughs> at the libretto and at the lyrics. After the revisions, the final version that uh, is now performed generally today, Leonard Bernstein dubbed it the final revised version, which actually I think dates from like 1989. Right. The libretto is a conglomeration of parts by Richard Wilbur, Dorothy Parker, Lillian Hellman, Stephen Sondheim, and Leonard Bernstein. That's quite a, a, a cast list, isn't it? Yeah, anybody wanted to take a crack at it, they basically said, hey, come on. <laughs> it wasn't literally quite that way, but but it certainly went through a lot of hands before reaching its final stage. Candide is based on the novella of the same name, the short novel by Voltaire that was published in 1758 and was one of the influential works of the Enlightenment. Yeah. And it's an allegory, so you could expect the plot to be pretty outrageous because it isn't meant to be literally taken at face value. And it is outrageous. Yeah, it is very outrageous. Completely. Lots of people die and come back to life <laughs> throughout the course of this plot. <laughs> Candide himself is the illegitimate nephew of a baron. Baron Thunder Tentronk in Westphalia. Germany. Yes. Or what was then one of the German states. And Cunegonde is the daughter of the baron. Right. And she has a brother called Maximilian. Right. And Cunegonde and Candide are in love. And Cunegonde, Candide, Maximilian, and another girl, a servant girl who's being uh, brought up in this castle, the four of them... That's Paquette. It's Paquette. The four of them are being brought up together. Basically, they're, they're growing up as this sort of tight little unit. Uh, they're educated together, and their teacher is one Dr. Pangloss. And Dr. Pangloss has this... He's a philosopher. Yes. And he has this sort of overarching philosophy that I guess we would term optimism. <laughs> and he has this saying, the best of all possible worlds. Whatever we're doing, wherever we are, it is the best of all possible worlds. Le meilleur des mondes possibles, as Voltaire says. Yeah, that's going to be shot to hell <laughs> in due course. <laughs> because in essence, that's what the whole story is about, is about coming to terms with the reality of the world. Right. And reality is about oneself, you know, about one's imperfections, 
but being able to to live with them and come to grips with them and accept them as they are. Candide, as we said, is in love with Cunegonde, and they see Dr. Pangloss having his way with Paquette. Oops. <laughs> yeah, which he describes as a, quote, physical experiment, end quote. <laughs> so Cunegonde decides that she wants to have a physical experiment with Candide. <laughs> monkey see, monkey do. Absolutely. So she and Candide are caught in flagrante delecti. Right. By the Baron, who is not happy. No. Because he says Candide is of a lower social class. Right. And he banishes him for having had carnal knowledge of his daughter. Right. And herein, herein we start to see some of the, the parodies of, of opera and of classical you know, theater and, and some of the, the themes that, that tend to recur, you know, these, these different uh, clashes of, of people who are in different social stations but who fall in love with one another. This is one of many. And, the, and later on when we get to the auto de fe scene, that, that's a whole big parody of grand opera and, and Verdi and I mean it's – Don Carlo. Don Carlo, exactly. Right. So Candide is exiled. He's kicked out of the castle, and he gets conscripted into the Bulgar army, and he tries to escape, but is unsuccessful. And then the army attacks the Baron's castle. And everybody's killed. <laughs> well, I mean... They're all killed in the attack. They are. The Baron, the Baroness, Maximilian, Paquette, Pangloss, Cunegonde, all killed. <laughs> and then, so Condit goes back to the castle, the ruins, looking for, particularly for Cunegonde. Right. And, of course, he doesn't find her. No. He then becomes a beggar because you know, he's got no family, he's got no home now, so he's forced to beg. And he comes across... None other than Dr. Pangloss, who's who supposed been to be dead, <laughs> but he's not. <laughs> and he gives his last money, his last few coins, to Dr. Pangloss, who says that he does, in fact, have syphilis. Well, of course he does. Which he, he got he, from Paquette. <laughs> How did she get it? <laughs> um, who knows? You know, we, uh, she's supposed to be dead, so we, <laughs> I think we're not meant to question that. <laughs> then uh, a merchant comes along yes. and sees uh, Candide and Pangloss, and he says, why don't you come and work on my ship? We are going to sail to Lisbon, Portugal. Right. I'll give you a job working on the ship. But when the ship arrives, <laughs> just as it arrives, a volcano erupts <laughs> and basically decimates the population. 30,000 people die. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they blame Pangloss and Candide for the disaster because it happened just as they arrived. So therefore, they must have caused it. So they are arrested. They are accused of being heretics. And they are publicly tortured by the Grand Inquisitor. The hmm. Inquisition is there. Right. 
And Pangloss is hanged and Candide is flogged. This is the famous auto de fe that you were talking about. Right. And in, you know, in Verdi's Don Carlo, as you mentioned, there is an auto de fe scene as well. And it's this big, giant French grand opera spectacle with a giant chorus singing about the day is here, the day is here. Oh, this is a great day, you know, when they're about to burn people to death. So <laughs> Bernstein... <laughs> Bernstein sets the scene and begins it with a chorus. What a day, what a day for an auto de fe. <laughs> Which is just, it's priceless. <laughs> so once again, Dr. Pangloss is dead. Again. Again. <laughs> once again. <laughs> yes. Candide is flogged, but he survives. Right. And he makes his way to Paris, where he comes across Cunegonde. Right. Who has miraculously been revived. Right. She is now working as uh, um, um, courtesan. Let's say courtesan. Let's just say that. <laughs> she, she's a member of the demi-monde. Right. She actually has two lovers. Yes. Uh, one is a Jew, Don Issachar, and one is the Cardinal Archbishop. Aim high. <laughs> and this is where we get... The big soprano aria, Glitter and Be Gay. This is a coloratura tour de force. And it's also a tour de force for someone who not only has the vocal chops to, you know, really take this and run with it, but the comedic chops to really make it funny because it's it's very funny. <laughs> this is where she's, she's extolling the virtues of her life because she's got all this bling. All this jewelry. Yeah, yeah. And so she's a happy girl. Yeah, she keeps going back and forth between, you know, this this despair, you know, in the minor key and, oh, well, this horrible life I lead, I lead and look what I've brought myself to. Oh, but look, pretty. <laughs> <laughs> then the old lady, who is Cunegonde's companion, warns her that – who two patrons, <laughs> patrons, that's right, <laughs> quote unquote, are coming back and are likely to catch them. So when they do come, Candide inadvertently kills both of them by stabbing them with a sword. Oops. I, I don't know how you do that inadvertently. <laughs> Oops. But of course, Candide is now in trouble. So he, Cunegonde, and the old woman flee. And they go to Spain, particularly to the south of Spain, to Cadiz. Right. They get to Cadiz, and the jewels are stolen. And then the French police arrive, having tracked them down, and they want to arrest Candide for murdering Don Issachar and the archbishop. So they have to flee. And Candide accepts an offer to go to South America to fight for the Jesuits who are there to bring the gospel. The Jesuits are missionaries in South America. And, of course, Candide needs to get out of Cadiz or out of Europe because he's being tracked down for the murder of these two guys. And so off they go. End of Act One. That's right. End of Act One. <laughs> they are on the ship to the New World. In Act Two, they arrive in Montevideo, Uruguay capital of Uruguay, 
And <laughs> Maximilian, Cunegonde's brother, and Paquette, the servant girl with syphilis, <laughs> they have been revived. They're no longer dead, and they're disguised as slave girls. Of course they are. And the governor of the city, Don Fernando, falls in love with Maximilian. But then <laughs> but figures out oops. that there's something not quite right here and sells him off <laughs> to a priest. <laughs> so Candide, Cunegonde, and the old lady have arrived in Montevideo. And the governor, having got rid of Maximilian because he's a little boy, not a little girl, yes. now falls in love with Cunegonde. And the old lady tells Cunegonde, go with it. <laughs> this, this could finance us that's for right. quite a while. He will. Uh, he's got money. He will uh, support you financially, etc. And at that point, Candide becomes friends with Cacambo and takes him on as his valet. But the old lady convinces Candide that the police are still after him for the murder of the Archbishop and Don Issachar. And so Candide and Cacambo flee and they they leave Montevideo and they come across a Jesuit camp. <laughs> and guess who they find there? <laughs> well, they come across the mother superior uh, and the father superior of the Jesuits and the nuns. And the mother superior is Paquette, Paquette. and the father superior is Maximilian. Maximilian. <laughs> So they recognize each other, obviously. Yes. And Candide tells Maximilian. Got great news. Yeah. I'm going to marry your sister, Cunegonde. Yeah. Does he take it well? No. <laughs> Maximilian is angry, presumably because he doesn't think Candide is of the right social status to marry his sister, same as the Baron. So he challenges Candide to a fight. <laughs> what happens is you put something sharp in Candy's hands and he and inadvertently get, kills somebody. Somebody's going to get accidentally killed. And this time it's, it's Maximilian again. <laughs> <laughs> so Candide is forced to flee again. So he goes into the jungle and gets lost in the jungle because three years later, <laughs> Cunegonde and the old lady... They're with the governor. They're living with the governor. Yep. And they're 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 kind of whining about, you know, life in the upper class. It's so difficult being it's in so the hard. aristocracy. It's so hard. <laughs> Candide and Cacambo are still lost in the jungles and they're starving. Right. They find a boat on a river. Right. And they float downstream into a cavern. And they reach the legendary city of... El Dorado. Yeah, the city of gold. El Dorado is this wonderful place full of things that they've never seen before and full of these happy people. But, of course, Candide is not happy because he doesn't have Cunegonde. Right. So he wants to leave. And the inhabitants of El Dorado think... He's an the, idiot. He's an idiot. Why would, why would you want <laughs> why to Why would you not this? want to stay here? But they, they agree to help him nonetheless. And they give him some of the town's golden sheep. 
Right. And they construct a, a sort of a, a contraption, a lift, that will guide him, Kakambo, and the sheep over the mountain and away from El Dorado. Right. The unfortunate part of that whole plan is that in the in the process of lifting the sheep over the mountain, most of them die. <laughs> All but two. All but two. So Candy does not want to go back to Montevideo. Right. He gives one of the golden sheep to Cacambo to go to Montevideo to ransom Cunigonda. And he says... Let's meet up again in Venice. I mean, of all the places. Why not? Why not? <laughs> I've always wanted to go to Venice. Let's meet in Venice. Let's do. <laughs> so Candide leaves because he can't go back to Montevideo because he doesn't want to get caught and blah, blah, blah. He goes to Suriname. Well, of course he does. <laughs> and he meets Martin, who is a pessimist. Okay. So... His philosophy of life is, is the opposite of Dr. Pangloss. Exactly. <laughs> he says, Martin shows Candide a slave with one hand and one foot, which, he says, is because Europeans eat sugar. I have no response to that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but presumably... His rationale is that in harvesting sugarcane, this guy lost a hand and a foot. Ah. And so Europeans eating sugar, that's why this guy has lost his appendages. <laughs> okay. Candide, of course, who is still adhering to Dr. Pangloss's philosophy, the best of all possible worlds, tries to convince Martin otherwise but is unable to do so. Okay. Then along comes this Dutch villain. Vanderdender. <laughs> Vanderdender. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. And he says to Candide, you can have my ship, the Santa Rosalia, if you give me that golden sheep. And it just so happens that the Santa Rosalia is about to set sail for Venice. Venice. <laughs> <laughs> So, Candide sees the opportunity to get to Venice and presumably gives Vanderdender, gives the Dutch guy the sheep, the golden sheep. Yes, and sets sail for Venice. But he's with Martin still. Yeah. And <laughs> the ship sinks and Martin drowns. Okay. Self-fulfilling prophecy there, pessimism. <laughs> Candide is saved from the water by a galley on which there are five deposed kings. The galley is rowed by a series of slaves. And guess who's one of them? Pangloss. Yeah! Who has been revived once again. Wonder how long he'll last this time. <laughs> So Candide is reunited with Pangloss on this ship, and they sail to Venice. And they arrive in Venice at carnival time. Oh, good timing. So the kings, the five kings from the boat, they go off 
gamble. to gamble. And Candide is looking for Cunegonde, presumably thinking that Cacambo has ransomed her in Montevideo and brought her to Venice. Then he comes across Maximilian again, <laughs> who has been revived and is now the corrupt prefect of police in Venice. <laughs> what a coincidence. And guess who else is there? Paquette. Paquette. She's a prostitute. She's the town's reigning prostitute. She's the number one prostitute. Aim high. <laughs> and Cunegonde and the old lady are there as well, and they are working as, I don't know what, they are there to encourage the gamblers to spend their money. Gambling cheerleaders. Gambling cheerleaders. <laughs> which, you know, in other parts of the world might be called courtesans or... Saloon girls. Saloon girls. Or... <laughs> Pangloss is gambling as well. And he wins at roulette. And he spends his money on women. Then... Cunigond and the old lady, who were like the gambling press gang. Right. They, of course, everybody, don't forget, everybody is masked. Because it's carnival. Because it's carnival. So they accost the person that turns out to be Candide. Candide. Because they don't know who he is because of the masks. Except and they try, yeah. they try to swindle him out of his money. Yeah. And in the midst of all this, the masks come off and they all recognize one another and are horrified. And Candide, seeing what Cunegonde has become, in other words, you know, what, how she's having to, to live her life to, to earn her money, etc. Yeah. He's disillusioned. He finally realizes that Pangloss's philosophy of optimism, the best of all possible worlds, is a bunch of hooey. It just doesn't hold up. It does not. And he is so sort of shattered by this that he falls silent for several days. He cannot talk. But then, with the little money that they have left, they do something very unusual, and they buy a farm outside Venice. And what do they do there, Eric? They sing a big finale. <laughs> it's a great number called Make Our Garden Grow. And the lyrics of this are just... Really, really poignant. After everything that these characters have been through, they talk about they're going to bake their daily bread and they're going to live their you know simple lives. Uh, at one point, they sing, "We're neither good or nor bad. We're, we just are." And it's we're this... not wise. We're not good. We're just we just who we are, and we can, all we can do is the best we know how to do. That's that's all we can do. And it's a wonderful piece, and it just builds and builds to a big, glorious, you know, climactic moment. Uh, it's a really great way to end this piece. And there is that resolution there. Yeah. We've rejected optimism. We've rejected pessimism. Yeah. And the attitude is let's just live our lives, do the best we can, make our garden grow. As Voltaire says – Il faut cultiver notre jardin. We have to make our garden grow. We have to create our own happiness, our own life, our own existence. Right. End of opera. End of opera. 
So this opera, dating from 1956 originally, didn't find its sort of final form until 1989. And when it first debuted, it was not well received. Not at all. And in fact, it uh, lasted on Broadway for just about a year and then it closed. But uh, again, as we said before, classical music has championed it. Classical music and opera companies and symphonies will do concert versions of it because it works very well in a concert version. I mean, you know, it's very difficult to stage, as you can imagine, going. It's very episodic. Yeah, very much so. So it works great as a concert piece. And lots of universities tend to do it, too, because it's, it's really good for young singers. Um, and, of course, one of the things that has made its reputation grow is that wonderful overture that yes. Leonard Bernstein wrote for it. Indeed. Which, which is played so often now as a concert piece. Right. Leonard Bernstein's Candide. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.